We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela, Dei Mater Alma, Ad Semper Virgo, Felix Tempor. We covered introductory material about why I call asceticism liturgical, and I used Kavanaugh uh, for a uh, start on that. And then we looked at the desert experience, uh, the place from which this uh, asceticism was coming. And then we looked at the structure of the person, the faculties. That allows us to say something now about the problem and the solution, the malady or sickness and its cure. And if I can do uh, about half of each, uh, that would make a nice um, pacing. Here's where we left off. You remember? Evagrius's list eight thoughts that are included in every thought. And it's not in our power to determine whether we're disturbed by the thoughts they come. Christ had the thoughts, we will see, but did not have the passion. It is up to us whether they're to linger in us or not. And there starts the struggle, the battle, the uh, exercise, the asceticism. Let's look at some uh, definitions. Clement of Alexandria. Appetite is a movement of the mind to or from something. Appetite of uh, emotion, an appetite of intellect, physical appetites, that's the least of it, to or from something, to be uh, attracted to something, and a passion, that jumped, a passion is an excessive appetite. You want your um, love, your amoris, to be proper, um, developed, fixed, ordered, ordo amoris, rightly ordered love. <clears throat> Excess is often the um, problem. When it's uh, excessive, it exceeds the measures of the word or the appetite unbridled and disobedient to reason. There's uh, logo reason controlling the two steeds of uh, concupiscible and irascible again. I've given uh, Spidlick's definition already. Uh, we'll do some more Maximus below, but let's notice his uh, passion is a movement of the soul contrary to nature. Vice is a mistaken use of ideas from which follows the abuse of things. If you think wrong about it, you may use it wrongly as well. It seems like um, we don't do nature naturally anymore. Naturally is a way that we talk about the, the way something ought to be done, as in natural law, according to nature. We don't do nature naturally anymore. Uh, we're bent. Something's gone screwy. The one who has self-love has all the passions. This was already alluded to. Um, philautia. Auto, philos, self-loves, in curvatus in se. The one who has self-love has all the passions. The passions are all an expression of uh, self-love. <coughs> Isaac the Syrian says that when we want to give a collective name to all the passions, we'll call them world. Worldliness is passionate existence. In some of the uh, things I've been reading lately, they uh, refer to worldlings, people who live according to the world. Not in the world, because you can live in the world not as a worldling, but uh, the one who is uh, 
engaged in the world, uh, who's, who's infected by the world, uh, this can be a collective name for all the passions put together. If you want to talk about them specifically, you can do that, but if you want to in, um, call them passions, but if you want to talk about them all together, then we can call them the world. I've mentioned this. Let me start three times. Let me underline it. Let me point at it. What else can I do about it? It's not the thing itself. It's misuse is evil. It's not money, sex, or beer. It's avarice, lust, and gluttony. This must be insisted upon or else Christian asceticism would be mistaken for Manichaeism, especially when the modern investigator is startled by some of the practices of the more zealous Christian ascetics. Asceticism is not dualism, not Manichaeism, not Catharism, not teetotaling Puritanism. It reminds me of a quote. Uh, I have a lot of my quotes gathered here, but uh, sometimes one occurs to me uh, from somewhere else, and uh, this is a Chesterton quote. I use it in a um, PowerPoint on fasting, which I may do in another video. Chesterton writes, uh, Nothing is more common than to find a modern critic writing, Christianity was a movement of ascetics, a rush into the desert, a refuge in the cloister, a renunciation of all life and happiness. And this was part of a gloomy and inhuman reaction against nature itself, a hatred of the body, a horror of the material universe, a sort of universal suicide of the senses and even of the self. End quote. Now, the most extraordinary thing about all this is that it's quite true, true in every detail, except that it happens to be attributed entirely to the wrong person. It was not true of the church. It was true of the heretics condemned by the church. The other church was ascetic, but she proved she was not pessimistic simply by condemning the pessimists. The creed declared that man was sinful, but it did not declare that life was evil. And it proved it by damning those who did. The condemnation of the early heretics is itself condemned as something crabbed and narrow. But it was in truth the very proof that the Catholic, that the church was meant to be brotherly and broad, and it proved that the primitive Catholics were specially eager to explain they did not think man utterly vile, they did not think life incurably miserable. They did not think marriage a sin or procreation a tragedy. They were ascetic because asceticism was the only possible purge of the sins of the world. But in the very thunder of their anathemas, they affirmed forever that their asceticism was not to be anti-human or anti-natural, that they did wish to purge the world and not destroy it. I like it when those quotes pop to mind. Plus, I've taken a... Uh, both a vow, made a vow to a Colchesterton once a week to somebody somewhere. So uh, you let me fulfill that this week. Here's our friend Maximus. The whole war of the monk against the demons is to separate the passions from the representations. Otherwise, he will not be able to look on things without passions. It's like a, um, it's like passions are a cataract lens that's been growing on our eye. And now we don't see the world clearly. We don't see it the way God intended it. We didn't see it properly. Maximus says this, but let me use Peter Damascus's larger um, description. Remember, it's not uh, money, sex, or beer that's bad. It's not food, but gluttony that's bad. Not money, but attachment to it. Not speech, but idle talk. Not the world's delights, but dissipation. Not love of one's family, but neglect of God that such love may produce. Not clothes worn for covering and protection, but those that are excessive and costly. Not the houses that protect us from heat and cold, but houses with two and three floors, large and expensive. Not owning something, but owning it when it has no vital use for us. Not friendship, but having of friends that are no benefit to one's soul. Not woman, but unchastity. Not wealth, but avarice. Not wine, but drunkenness. Not anger used in accordance with nature. Well, when would nature use anger properly? What's a good use of anger for the chastisement of sin? 
It's wrong if it's used against one's fellow man. Not authority, but love of authority. Not glory, but the love of glory, and what's worse, vainglory. Not the world, but the passions. Not nature, but what is contrary to nature. Not the thing. It's the misuse of the thing. John of Colacus, in his usual way, uh, penetrates with a uh, zinging one-liner. We are voluntary epileptics, he says. <clears throat> the passions uh, flood us. They take us over. They uh, uh, misdirect us. Yeah, but voluntarily so. We have an epileptic spell, but we're voluntary epileptics. It's a brilliant uh, image. Mark the ascetic. He who hates the passions gets rid of their causes. Oh, oh. That's where the problem is going to come. If you want to get rid of the passions, you have to get rid of their causes. If you're an alcoholic, don't keep liquor in the house. If you're addicted to porn, don't go to that website. If you hate the passion, get rid of the cause. But he who is attracted by the causes is attacked by the passions, even though he does not wish it. You sort of partially wish it, but you don't wish it strongly enough to actually will it and get rid of the cause. So we cannot entertain a passion in our mind unless we have a love for its causes. Here comes an opportunity for self-examination. We have used things wrongly, and in so doing we have wronged things. Drink is misused. Sex is misused. Community can be misused. This is a point that uh, Schmemann makes. Satan cannot destroy anything, and so he cannot destroy the um, natural inclination towards community we have, but he can twist it, distort it, and now he can pit one family against another, Hatfield and McCoy's, one nation against another, one uh, race against another. Let's say a little bit more about uh, the fact that the passions don't have to do, they have to do with matter, they have to do with the right use of matter, but matter is not the cause of it. This is uh, Ibdakamov. Liturgy elevates matter to its real dignity and destiny. And we understand thereby that matter is not some autonomous substance. Matter is a function of the spirit and a vehicle of the spiritual. So in the final analysis, we're talking about an ascetical rehabilitation of matter. And we do it as a substratum of the resurrection and the medium in which all epiphanies takes place. And what a connection between sacramentology and liturgical asceticism. Schmemann, assembling as the church presupposes a separation from the world. Ek kalein, to be called out, to be called out by Christ, under Christ, with Christ, for Christ, in Christ. There is a separation of the world, but the exodus from the world is accomplished in the name of the world and for the sake of the world. It's not redemption from the world, but redemption of the world. For we are flesh of the flesh and blood of the blood of this world. We're part of it, and only by us and through us does it ascend to its creator. And so the world, the cosmos, waits for the liturgical cosmic priest to do the world properly. Oh, okay, great place to put it. Uh, Kavanaugh. Make this um, faster this way. Yes. Kavanaugh's uh, definition of liturgy, you'd frequently say it in class, is um, doing the world the way the world was meant to be done. Liturgy is doing the world the way the world was meant to be done. It can't be done the way it was meant to be done without asceticism. 
And that's my connecting point between liturgy and asceticism. If you want to do liturgy, you must be an ascetic. Asceticism is a capacitation for liturgy. The world, the cosmos, ascends through the cosmic priest, man and woman, to its creator, to its goal and fulfillment. We separate ourselves from the world in order to bring it, in order to lift it up to the kingdom and to make it once again the way to God in participation in his eternal kingdom. We could do the world the way it was meant to be done. The world could serve as Jacob's ladder with traffic ascending and descending. I'd had another thought and I was pausing to remember and I just uh, uh, came to me. Uh, there's certain lines over uh, 50 years of teaching that I'm proud of and this is one of them. The fall was the forfeiture of our liturgical career. Adam and Eve were created to be cosmic priests and to conduct the liturgical, the cosmic liturgy. And the fall was a forfeiture of that career. They abandoned that vocation. Asceticism is the healing of that. Here comes uh, Vladimir Solovyov. In order to realize the kingdom of God on earth, it's necessary first to recede from earth, to manifest the spiritual idea in the material world. It's necessary to be free and detached from that world. A slave of the earth cannot possess it. So the highest aim for Christianity is not ascetic detachment from the natural life, but it's hallowing and purification. But to purify it, one must be pure from it. The purpose of Christianity is not to destroy earthly life, but to raise it towards God. And only he who is free from the world can benefit the world. The purpose of Christian asceticism is not to weaken the flesh, but to strengthen the spirit for the transfiguration of the flesh. Good one. Asceticism is not beating up on the flesh. It's strengthening the spirit to transfigure the flesh so that our service to the world can be uh, performed correctly. Let's say something more specifically about Luchismoy. We'll look at um, Evagrius first, and then I'll go back to my quotes. I've forgotten where I found this. Uh, it was a list of descriptions. Um, <laughs> trouble getting old. I can't remember what book it came from. Gluttony is a desire without restraint. Lust is a desire for something wrong. Greed is a desire for something more. Sadness, a desire for something else. Anger, a desire for something we define as our right. Akedia, a desire for something less. Vainglory, a desire for superiority. Pride, a desire for independence. You may just remember those two when we uh, come to treat them in uh, more detail. Occasionally, it's noted that Evagris reduces his eight thoughts into three, and the three are gluttony, avarice, and vainglory. Where have we heard some reference to gluttony, avarice, and vainglory? Let me think, let me think. Is it not the temptation of Christ? I will give you all this. Turn bread, I turn stone into bread. Leap from the temple. So here's uh, Evagris's description. This is his language. The thought of gluttony suggests to the monk that he give up his ascetic efforts in short order. I uh, have to underscore here that Evagris is talking about how the passions affect the monks that he's uh, visiting in the desert. That has to get translated to the ascetic in the world, but uh, Evagris is talking about the monastic life. 
It brings to his mind a concern over long illness, scarcity of the commodities of life, and finally lack of care of the physicians. My uh, retirement plan doesn't look like it'll sufficiently take care of me. The demon of lust impels one to lust after bodies. It attacks more strenuously those who practice continence in the hope that they will give up the practice of this virtue. But the demon of lust attacks also uh, conjugal chastity. Avarice suggests to the mind a lengthy old age, inability to perform manual labor at some future date, famine sure to come, sickness that will visit us, pinch of poverty, and the great shame that comes from accepting necessities of life from others. Sadness tends to come up at times because of the deprivation of one's desires. And on other occasions, it creates anger, and on other occasions it accompanies anger. Certain thoughts drive the memory to the, the soul to the memory of home and parents, one's former life, uh, somebody was, is uh, tempted to give up the monastic life. The most fierce passion is anger, boiling and stirring up a wrath against one who has given injury, or is thought to have given injury. This is why uh, asceticism has to do with truth as well. Constantly irritates the soul, and above all, at the time of prayer, it seizes the mind and flashes the picture of the offensive person before one's eyes. You can uh, remember experiences yourself of uh, your mind going from bink, 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 and landing where you didn't intend it to go. This is his description of Akedia, which is a hard one to define. It uh, sometimes sloth, but in uh, the West, sloth has come to mean um, laziness, not having a good work ethic. Um, forgotten his name, but he's written a uh, history of the use of the word sloth in the West. Uh, I will find it if you want it. But uh, vagrus means something different by it. It's kind of a despondency, which is related to number four, sadness. But despondency is a um, such that you don't act on it. This is his description, and I'm always amazed at how um, how I recognize the interior of a person from centuries ago. He's called the Noonday Demon, and he presses his attack on the monk about the fourth hour and besieges him until the eighth hour. First of all, he makes it seem as if the sun barely moves, if at all. That the day is fifty hours long. Then he constrains the monk to look constantly out the windows, to walk to the door of the cell, to gaze carefully at the sun to determine how far it stands from the ninth hour when uh, he can eat first meal, ninth hour fasting, to look now this way and that to see if perhaps some brethren appears from the cells. Give me relief from the discipline and the prayer that I'm supposed to be doing now. Oh, come in, come in, let's chat about something. Then, too, it instills in the heart of the monk, a hatred for the place, hatred for this life, hatred for the manual labor. Remember um, that that's a significant part of it, and Benedict picks it up, ora et labora, prayer and work, work and prayer. And the demon derives him along to desire other sites where he could more easily procure life's necessities. He goes on to suggest, after all, come on, it's not the place that's the basis of pleasing the Lord. You could please the Lord anywhere. You could move back from the desert to the suburbs and then uh, carry on your life of prayer. God's to be adored everywhere, right? And then he joins a memory of his dear ones, and this brings the mind's eye to the toil of the ascetic struggle. No other demons follow close upon the heels of this one when he's defeated. And only a state of deep peace and inexpressible joy rises out of this struggle. I guess we could ask which of the eight logismoi do we see most often around us? And do we ever even think about this despondency? 
have a Zelensky uh, wrote this. He said, Akedia fuels a sense of meaninglessness. And Akedia comes from a Greek word which refers to a non-caring state. Sullenness. Despairing indiscipline. Not caring about anything. Oh, oh, that's how the sloth part slipped in, but it's a combination of sloth and despondency. To wrap this up, are you getting depressed? I am. Vainglorious subtle. I'm thinking of all the other uh, ascetical authors I read that uh, make this point. Uh, in all the other, as the um, virtue grows in uh, inverse proportionality, as virtue grows, the vice decreases. But vainglory is funny because as virtue grows, vainglory can grow. You can be proud of your humility. You can become vainglorious over your uh, asceticism. It uh, leads them to desire to make their struggles known publicly, to hunt after the praise of men, and this leads them to hear fancied sounds or crowds of people who touch their clothes. Maybe they uh, load up their camera and they talk about uh, virtues as if somebody uh, in radio land is going to uh, want to listen. Another shot at myself. This demon predicts that they'll attain to the priesthood. Vainglorious uh, desires on the part of the monk. It has men knocking at the door, seeking audience with him. Uh, write some books. For a long time, I couldn't quite understand the difference between vainglory and pride, because they sounded like the same word. But vainglory is wanting... Um, glory before other human beings. Pride is uh, wanting something before God, and it's the most damaging fall, for it's, it induces the monk to deny that God is his helper and to consider that he himself is the cause of virtuous acts. He does also get a big head in regard to his brethren, considering them stupid, they don't have the same opinion of him. The vainglory is wanting recognition from other people. Pride is wanting recognition that you are responsible for your own um, accomplishments, your own justification. This word has um, been sinking in on me lately. You know, the Greek word for the worship that God and only God gets is Latria. That's different from uh, Dulia, which you can give uh, reverence and uh, adoration to other places and people and things. But Latria is what God and only God gets because he's God. And if you gave uh, Latria to a image, to a, a knockoff, to a hologram, to a shadow of God, that would be... Uh, giving Latria to Idon, Idon Latria. Oh yeah, that's idolatry. Well, there's something worse than idolatry, and that would be giving Latria to oneself. Autolatry is pride. Autolatry, autolatria, worshiping oneself. Where did that idea ever first appear? Oh, you will not die. God knows if you eat from this tree, you'll become God's yourself, knowing right from wrong. Worship yourself. Let's get back to um, some definitions. Olivier Clement, the usual translation is thoughts, but it reminds us that they are seeds of the passion suggestions, impulses that emerge from the subconscious and soon can become obsessive. In the ascetic sense, passions are blockages, usurpations, deviations, bent. Self-idolatry Jeremy Driscoll, whose uh, study was on um, Evagrius, it's written a, a classic study of it. It says, The goal of the demons is to keep the monks from reaching dispassion. 
So they attack that part of the soul where the passions reside in such a way as to set them in motion. Demons inspire thoughts. And when the thoughts are allowed to linger, it unleashes passions in us. Thought can become a passion. Sometimes I think of the logismoi like a tickle in your nose, and then you sneeze. The logismoi is just the tickle of the temptation. And as Evagrius asserts, you cannot stop the logismoi from coming, but you can um, stop from lingering on it. Abba Moses says the same thing. It's impossible for the mind not to be troubled by thoughts, but their refusal or acceptance does depend on us. The logismoi come unbidden, therefore no guilt is attached to having the logismoi. There's a chain of culpability, guilt, if the soul acquiesces to the temptation. John of Damascus repeats what uh, Evagrius has said to dwell on them or not dwell on them, to excite the passions or not to excite them, does lie within our power. The logismoi is like a, just a spark, and if you put um, kindling on it and uh, note some, some dry grass first and then blow slowly, and you can cause it to uh, burst into flame. Uh, let's just take a peek at their um, definition. I put uh, together... Uh, a page with uh, John of Damascus and Peter of Damascus, and they're about the same, except they uh, they differ in one um, sequence. Uh, let me just read uh, John of Damascus. These are the um, steps of temptation. First, provocation is simply a suggestion coming from the enemy. Do this, do that. That's the logismoi. Oh, such as our Lord himself experienced when he heard the words, Command these stones become bread. Was Christ tempted? Yes. Without sin? Yes. He had the logismoi. But it is uh, up to us to decide whether the logismoi is to linger. Next step, coupling. Acceptance of the thought suggested by the enemy, dwelling on the thought, choosing deliberately to dally with it. I like that phrase, right? Well, I know I could. I wonder if I would. Passion is a state resulting from coupling with the thought provoked by the enemy. The imagination broods on the thought. Wrestling is some resistance, and it'll result either in destroying the passion or in assenting to it. Uh, you either give up or you make it. If you uh, uh, assent to it, then becomes captivity, forcible and compulsive abduction of the heart, an epileptic fit which you voluntarily accepted. Assent is giving approval to the thought and then putting the impassioned thought into effect. Uh, Peter of Damascus says the same, provocations, coupling, wrestling, uh, he eliminates his captivity side, but talks about assent, and this arises, passion, and it turns into a settled disposition. Uh, you slowly can develop the habit. Philotheus of Sinai, provocation is a thought still free from passion. So it's, there's no culpability yet. Coupling is to commune with this thought in an impassioned or in a dispassionate way. Ascent is the pleasurable acceptance by the soul of the thing that the logismoi has made you see. Captivity is a forcible and enforced abduction, and a passion is a strict sense is defined as that which lurks in the soul over a period of time. The first stage is sinless, the second not altogether free of sin, the sinfulness of the third stage depends on our inner state. Hesychius says uh, the same thing. Finally comes the concrete action, which is the sin itself. John Climacus makes the uh, same uh, series, provocation, the simple word, uh, what's been encountered, 
delighted yielding of the soul, captivity and passion, and the uh, rule um, written by uh, Nihilus of Sora says the same simple thought or suggestion. Conjunction, joining and accepting, involuntary attraction, inclination and activity. Not sinful, granting it permission. And accepting is to be judged more or less. So here's a that description of the um, steps of um, the temptation. I think we better turn to some solution. I've already slid just slightly over my halfway mark. And I think that uh, we should say something about the cure, because this is where the asceticism actually uh, kicks in. Eschesis is a uh, Greek word that means training or discipline. It was used, first of all, of athletes. Um, soon, we're in, uh, I'm recording this in February, and soon will come a uh, month when baseball players will head down to Florida for their spring ascesis. Spring baseball training. It was used first of athletes. Then it was used by the Stoic philosophers to talk about a training of the spirit. And then it's used by the uh, Christians uh, to talk about this ascetical training or discipline or exercise. Do your push-ups, run your laps. And uh, this is why sometimes monks are called the athletes in the desert. Evagrius organizes the uh, counterattack in this way. Three stages, but a major division into two parts, and so it's my uh, little gimmick to talk about 1, 2a, and 2b. This is active, this is contemplative theoria. The first stage he calls practice, which is to do battle with the pathé. The goal is to strive for dispassion, apatheia. Once one makes some progress in that, it's not like you're ever finished with any of these. Like, well, okay, I've got the uh, passions under control. There's uh, apatheia. I'm never uh, bothered by the logisma anymore. What's stage two? What should I go on to now? No. It's like you're always engaged in all of these, but uh, there's sort of a, um, a building uh, as you go. If there's adequate dispassion so that you could look at the world without the cataracts of the passions, uh, then you could engage in physique. Oh, this would be a kind of different physics than they do next to the biology and the chemistry lab, physics. It'd be a slightly different physics than uh, we used to refer to medical doctors as uh, physics, pharmacies, physics. This physique is contemplating the cosmos in the light of revelation. And it's a spiritual accomplishment that requires the spiritual asceticism because one sees beyond appearances in order to know the creator. You see the creator in the signs of his creation. So physique is contemplation of creatures. Know the world as it truly is. Hmm. Do the world as the world was meant to be done. Know the world as the world truly is. This is a liturgical cosmology. My students are accustomed to me slapping the word liturgical in front of everything. Liturgical uh, matter, uh, liturgical cosmos, liturgical priest, liturgical anthropology. That was the uh, thesis of liturgical dogmatics. I tried to go through uh, as many dogmas as I have limited grasp of and uh, see them through a liturgical lens, uh, but that's another uh, location. If you could take scripture and providence 
and a revelation to look at creation, would you be done? One more step. Now you could contemplate not the creature, but the creator. And what does Evagrius call the third step? Theologia. Effortless. Beatific. Union with God. Steady regarding of the Godhead as it is in himself. This is more familiar language. You would recognize it, wouldn't you? Purgation, illumination, and union. Stages of the mystical life. Asceticism and mysticism. Of course the mystics are ascetics. Of course the ascetics are mystics. Maximus says this first stage is like virtue, and he connects it, associates it with Elijah. The second stage is spiritual knowledge. He associates with Moses. Third stage is theology. He associates it with the Lord. This is a different kind of theology than I used to get a paycheck for. In our university, we've got uh, sociologists and psychologists and uh, physicists and theologians. Yeah, this theology doesn't begin in the card catalog. This theology begins with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to overcome the passions so that you could see the world the way the world truly is, and then you would uh, have a union with God. So here's Evagrius's uh, um, $64 quotation. Fear of God strengthens faith, my son. Continence, in turn, strengthens this fear. Patience and hope make this fear solid beyond all shaking. And they give birth to apatheia. All these virtues and patience and hope and fear and faith are the mother mothers of apatheia. They give birth to apatheia. And apatheia is the mother of love. Apatheia has a child called agape. And agape keeps the door to a deep knowledge of the created universe. And finally, to this knowledge, succeeds theology and supreme beatitude. That's the sequence. That's the movement from asceticism to theology. Ascetical theology, liturgical asceticism, liturgy, asceticism, theology, connected. The goal of the ascetical life is charity. The goal of contemplative knowledge is theology of one, of 2a and 2b. This beginning is faith. This beginning is physicae. The demons fall on the affective part of the soul to oppose the ascetical life. Now the demons fall upon the rational part of the soul. So let's look at these three stages. Number one, practicate. John McGuckin had a one of a hundred definitions you could pull out. Asceticism derives from the Greek term for physical exercise, athletic practice, training the soul to virtue by disciplining the body is fundamental to monastic theory. Here, Christian monasticism provided an original and distinct anthropology, and many Greco-Roman theories of purpose of asceticism was to be rid of the body, to purify the soul from the body, but this is not what the monks are up to. In the purest form, the Christian concept of ascesis seeks not the liberation of the soul from the body, but the integration of the person, spiritually and materially. There's uh, Solovyov's quote again. Ascesis was a manner of disciplining the body and training the mind by prayers, vigils, and fasting until the whole person was attuned to his, his or her best ability to hear the voice. Demons inspire thoughts, logismoi, and when we allow them to linger, it unleashes the passions in us. The remedy to this, the cure, the fix, is a constant vigilance over thoughts, never allowing them to linger. 
and practice is learning this art of never allowing them to linger. Asceticism depends on vigilance, attentiveness, watchfulness, and it moves one uh, towards the goal. What goal? Uh, we'll come back if there's time and uh, take a look at the way John Cassian uh, describes this goal, but um, let me just keep moving here. Combating the vices will have to be done on three fronts. Almsgiving heals the irascible part of the soul. Fasting extinguishes the concupiscible part. Prayer purifies the mind. This is Maximus again. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Mind, concupiscible, irascible. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is an ascetical discipline. Here comes our 40 days of ascesis again this year. Lent is around the corner. Which is worse? I suppose, maybe it's our Puritan um, influence, we tend to think of the concupiscible as the uh, worst. Drunkenness and uh, lechery and adultery. Maximus says the passions of the irascible are harder to combat than those of the concupiscible. Remember where Dante placed different sinners in his uh, hierarchy of hell. It's harder to combat, and that's why the Lord gave it the better remedy. The, the overcoming of the irascible faculty is a commandment of love, which is uh, what Christ gave as a commandment on the uh, night in which he was to be betrayed. All of these um, eight Eastern passions make it into the West as seven, seven Western uh, vices. And how do they make it there? Via Evagrius's pupil, John Cassian. Cassian is from a monastic community in what's now southern France, and he goes to Egypt and Palestine, and he asks, give me a word. Give me some information. And he records the uh, material in the conferences of Cassian. Then he asks, how do you do it? Uh, what's your lifestyle? And he records his information in the Institutes by Cassian. Brings those, that material back and it enters the West. Here is a description. I thought I had it here. A, a description of that process by... Uh, Father Callistos Ware, Orthodox theologian in uh, England. Evagrius's disciple Cassian transmitted this list of the eight thoughts to the West, but made one change in the sequence. To make more evident the connection between dejection and despondency, he moved anger up to the fourth place after avarice. Cassian made uh, one other change I should mention at this point. He thought that the Western uh, readers would not understand the word apatheia, and so he translates it as um, puritus cordis, purity of heart. Hmm. Purity of heart is to will one thing, said Augustine said Petrarch in the Middle Ages, said Kierkegaard more recently. He thinks that the word apatheia is going to confuse people, and he translated as purity of heart. Then Gregory the Great set pride in a class on its own. Why would he do that? Because he's a Westerner and he's August Augustinian, right? For Augustine, um, pride is the mother of everything. 
and after that comes uh, the list. So uh, Gregory sets pride in a class of its own, and then he's got uh, the rest to go. He omitted dejection because he thought it was the same thing as despondency, and he added envy to the list. And there you have the move from seven, from eight to seven. Here you have the sins and the virtues. Uh, that's the same thing. Uh, Gabriel Bungi's little book on despondency uh, lists opposites in a vagrious scheme. Gluttony is the opposite of temperance. Lust, prudence. Avarice, poverty. Sadness, joy. Anger, forbearance. Kedia, patience, vainglory, moderation, pride, meekness. You've stayed with the eight. Here are your um, virtues. If you go with the um, seven, here are your virtues opposite the vices. Second stage, physique. Apparently they find a connection between purity of heart and clarity of mind. That's hard for us to uh, quite grasp. Two plus two is four, no matter what kind of uh, person you are. You could be a, a worse thieving adulterer and you'd still know that two plus two is four, but there are some things you would not know if your heart was not pure of the vices. There are some things that you could not grasp or understand. Apatheia does not perhaps mean the cessation of passionate thoughts here below, but it does insist that the intellect ceases to be ruled by these forces. And so apatheia is a precondition for all further spiritual knowledge, and that's why step one comes before steps 2a and 2b. Theoria physicae is a contemplation of nature, of beings, of the created world, and it's probably the finest refutation of dualism to say that we're insisting God can be known from his works if we didn't have the cataracts of sin on our eyes. God can be known for his works. The universe is an open book, a school for souls. Two books of revelation, nature and scripture. There's more than just a nature walk in the woods. The second stage includes a penetration into the meaning of scripture because you won't you won't know what to think when you see uh, cancer and hurricanes, the suffering of Job. There has to be scripture behind this contemplation of nature. But if you were so uh, uh, enlightened by revelation, the natural phenomena and the natural symbols that fill our world could provide material for the pure of heart to grow an understanding of the ways of God with men. It sees the right order of the right things with an upright mind. I like this passage from a um, hymn by Simeon the New Theologian. Know then that you are double, and you possess two eyes, the sensible and the spiritual. Not only two eyes, but two sons, a sensible and a spiritual, a double light. And if you see them, the two sons, you will be the man as you were created in the beginning to be. Redeemed. A uh, cosmic priest who would know what the world is, what to do with the world. But if you see the sensible sun and not the spiritual sun, you're really half dead. A lot of those walking around, aren't they? Aren't we? Here's um, 
a description of the cosmos by Louis Boyer that I've always liked. The tradition of the fathers has never admitted the existence of a material world apart from a larger creation, that is, from a spiritual universe. To be more precise for them, the world, a whole and a unity, is inseparably matter and spirit. And across this continuous chain of creation in which the triune fellowship of the divine persons has extended and propagated itself, moves the ebb and flow of a creating agape and the created Eucharistia. Descending further and further towards the final limits of the abyss of nothingness, the creating love of God reveals its full power and the response it evokes in a joy of gratitude in which from the dawn of their existence creatures freely return to him who has given them all. The creating agape summons a created liturgy. Thus this immense choir of which we have spoken seems finally like an infinitely generous heart with an unceasing diastole and systole, diffusing divine glory and paternal love, then continually gathering it up again to its source in filial love. That's a beautiful quote. Conclusion. Where is the asceticism taking us to theology? Would you like to be a theologian? You don't even have to come and uh, plunk down $80,000 to the university. Start with your prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. How should we define theologia? Direct communion with God in pure prayer. To theologize is to pray in spirit and in truth. Since we use the word that way, theologize and dogmatize, I've started to uh, talk about liturgizing. Trying it out. Maximus, it's deemed worthy of the grace of theology when on the wings of love it has passed beyond all the preceding realities, and being in God it will consider the essence of himself through the Spirit, insofar as it's possible. Congar, theology is a science of the true God known through Christ, who reveals the Trinity. The Trinity is theology. The most elevated of the degrees of life. Isn't this a radically different definition of theology than if we just house it in the uh, academy? Why, Mrs. Murphy could be called a liturgical theologian, and so I do, following Kavanaugh, who called her that first. I like this one by Spidlick. Ancient Christian East understood the practice of theology as personal communion with Theos, the Father, through the Logos, Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And this is a experience lived in a state of prayer. Theologi, knowledge of the Father through the Logos, in the Holy Spirit. My addition, theology is as much a practice as it is a cognition. Knowledge of God is a knowledge of a God who is love. And love isn't just a passageway. Love has to remain a permanent part of the one who has entered into knowledge. So to know God is to love God. To love God is to know God. Which is higher? Knowing God or loving God? Yes. There's a argument among some whether agape leads to gnosis or gnosis leads to agape and uh, Driscoll thinks that the um, answer from Maximus Confessor is that knowledge of God is love of God, love of God is knowledge of God. Here's Evagris's own language. Prayer is a continual intercourse of the Spirit with God. Prayer is an ascent to the Spirit of God. 
The state of prayer can be described as a habitual state of imperturbable calm, apatheia. The asceticism is required for this contemplative prayer. And it snatches to the height of intelligible reality the spirit which loves wisdom and is spiritualized by this intense love. Theologize, spiritualize, liturgize. Our souls need to be liturgized. And then his passage. If you are a theologian, you truly pray. If you truly pray, you are a theologian. Metropolitan Herotheus makes a nice clarification. In Maximus as an attraction between pure mind and knowledge, the Holy Spirit finds the noose and initiates it into the mysteries of the age to be. And in this way, the person becomes a theologian. For theology is not given by human knowledge and zeal. Rats. Wasted those years and years on the PhD. Well, I got my academic theology degree, but this theology degree comes on a different cost. Theology is a work of the Holy Spirit which dwells in the pure heart. Theology is a work of the Holy Spirit. Theology is an opus dei. The noose which has been purified becomes for the soul a sky full of the stars of radiant and glorious thoughts, not those logismoi thoughts, but physicae thoughts, contemplation thoughts. The sun of righteousness shining on it, sending beaming rays of theology out into the world. Maybe we could get more Theo majors with a uh, t-shirt that says, send beaming rays of theology out into the world. Oh, what else is that but a description of the project of this uh, census fidelium website? Send beaming rays of theology out into the world. Real theology is not a fruit of material concentration, but a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When a man's noose is purified, then he's illuminated, and if his noose has the capacity, he can theologize. Then we can say that his whole life, even his body, is theology. Mrs. Murphy can be a liturgical theologian with her body. At the Mass, one does theology with one's knees, with gesture, with attentiveness, with one's eyes, with one's nose. Archimandrite Vasilius says something similar. True theology is always living. A form of hierurgy that changes our life and assumes us into itself. We are to become theology. Understood in this way, theology is not a matter for specialists. It's a universal vocation. As asceticism is for all baptized Christians, theology is for all baptized Christians. Each one is called to become a theologian soul. Uh, I'd like to do another video on uh, some of the impact of the Desert Father ascetical sayings and uh, look at it up closer. But uh, let me end here and uh, use one Desert Father's story, one saying from the Desert Fathers to uh, uh, close out. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said, do you mind a dramatic uh, rendition of this? I, this is what I see in the story. Oh, Abba, as far as I can, I'm doing the best that I know how. I keep a moderate rule. I do a little fasting and prayer. I have a little meditation and quiet. That's what I did last Lent. <laughs> I'm going to try it one more time this Lent. What else should I do? Is there more? Is this it? Have I uh, come into the wilderness and given up all uh, so that I can do this moderate rule with a little fasting? The old man rose, spread out his hands to heaven, and his fingers shone like ten candles. And he said, if you will, if you want it, if you choose it, not just vaguely desire it, but if you will, 
you could become a living flame. Why, you could become a theologian. The goal, I think, of all these uh, videos turns out to make viewers into theologians. There's a cost, there's a tuition on uh, your part. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, ascetical discipline. But the goal here is a state of theology, which is a foretaste of beatitude. Well, I thank you much for uh, letting me think through this again. This is uh, what, why one becomes a teacher, because you want to say the material to yourself again. And I haven't been able to since uh, for a year or two, and I uh, much appreciate it.